When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jones! Barron! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, this podcast in association with IG Trading and Investments. It's been another exhilarating day's cricket here at the Oval, the third day of the final test match. And then at the end, we hear the gobsmacking news that Stuart Broad has announced his retirement from all forms of cricket. Uh, Quite a surprising move, actually, because uh, it was looking so good this series, apart from anything else. And uh, much younger, of course, than his great uh, mate, Jimmy Anderson. Uh, who's 41, in fact, on Sunday, tomorrow. So uh, quite a surprising announcement from Broad, but he seems very happy with what he's achieved. And, well, of course, he should be, too, with over 600 test wickets. Anyway, we'll recap his career, his amazing career, uh, at the end of this test match, because, of course, he's still got one innings to go, and I'm sure he'll uh, end go out in a, in a fanfare, and there'll be a, a tremendous celebration when he walks off tomorrow, perhaps uh, with a, a two-all scoreline in this Ashes series. But anyway, uh, we'll recap that tomorrow, and in the meantime, we'll look back at a very interesting third day's play. It all started really encouragingly for England today with Zach Crawley, traditionally, hitting the first ball of the, of the day for four through extra cover, and it kind of carried on in that vein. But, Simon, at least this time, England batted all day. Yeah, so they've given their bowlers uh, some respite. They didn't have to bowl today, although just towards the close, it looked as though they might have to. We'll come to that in a moment, England's batting in that final session. But, yeah, the start of the day, England's sort of making that statement. You know, they knocked off the deficit inside the first over. 13 for no wicket after the first over bowled by Mitchell Stark. And they, they barely looked back in the first two sessions of the day's play. It was it was, it was was more glorious baseball batting. And the crowd that turned up today at the Oval, well, it was a great day if you're an England supporter and to have a ticket, really, because at times it was exhilarating stuff. And Australia, again, as at Old Trafford, when England made close to 600, they didn't have that many answers, really. 
No, in fact, I thought Australia's cricket in the first hour, especially when uh, again England rattled up an opening stand at five and over, was was a bit meek. I thought they fed Duckett's uh, leg side shots and didn't really test either Crawley or or Duckett around the off stump, just outside the off stump. I mean, there's a graphic on Sky at some point showing Crawley's normal dismissals to seem. Uh, over his test career and most of those balls are uh, about kind of six or seven stump outside the off stump on a good length or just short of a length those are the ones he tends to nick he hardly received any in that area in his 73 today look he played well I mean he looked uh, he looked very kind of confident and, and fluent generally uh, it was Duckett who made the early running and it's funny you know um, there was a, an old colleague of mine uh, in the ground today Ned Larkins Wayne Ned Larkins who played for North Ants, mm. he played for Durham he also played for England and he was a dashing opening bat and when Ned got going with the ball with, with the bat you know early in the innings we often called it Arch Pongo that was the phrase we used to uh, Ned Ned Larkins getting you off to a flyer uh, but I mean now with England r- rattling off at five and over regularly it's de rigueur isn't it there's no such thing as a flyer anymore it's just England's normal batting 62 in the first 10 or 11 overs uh, without even trying without even breaking sweat yeah 52 for no wicket after 8.4 overs the 50 partnership inside nine overs same as the first innings on the first day when they flew away at five and over and it, it was it was it was there was nothing unexpected about it. You're right. It, it was like, OK, just normal service resumed. Australia struggling uh, to contain it. You know, normally in that third innings, the, the game's in the balance, isn't it? Uh, when a team's only 12 ahead, you, it's going to be a tight morning, tight session. But it was no, nothing like that at all. England romped away, 130 for one at lunch or 25 overs. Crawley, 71 not out, playing uh, magnificently. And, and Ben Duckett playing impishly as well, and striking it well. Uh, making 42. He was out in the same way as he was in the first innings, nicking uh, Mitchell Stark full ball that just m- moved away uh, through to the keeper. Although that one, this one was just a bit closer uh, to off stump. He, he probably did have to play at this one, whereas he didn't necessarily have to play at the one in the first innings. But there was in- England just felt in total control. It just seemed like nothing Australia uh, could do to, to halt the flow. You know, Pat Cummings came on and, and, and just got it together for a bit as he did on the first day but England banged it away and we had our answer to the question didn't we Yoz about who was going to bat a number three and of course what, what helped uh, Ben Stokes had his pads and what helped is he didn't have to come in until it was 79 uh, for one and They've been out there for 17 overs. You know that makes a big difference, doesn't it? A big difference coming in after you know, in the 18th over than obviously coming in in the first or, or second over. And, and and that partnership between Crawley and Duckett that was under the microscope really at the start of the series has actually done well uh, for England. You've got uh, Zach yeah. Crawley, 480 runs at, at 53, and Duckett's played his part as well in the series, 320 run runs at 35, and that, that those are those are pretty adequate. Uh, just stats, aren't they? Well, they're more than adequate stats in, in English conditions. And you're absolutely right. Ben Stokes coming into bat uh, at number three when the the damage had been done, the bowlers were were looking a little bit kind of uh, you know mitigated against. And actually, uh, he, by the time he came in, Todd Murphy, the spinner, was on, so he could uh, milk the, the bowling, nerdle it around, get his innings his innings going. Actually, what I suppose isn't surprising in a way is that Stokes 
having got a, a fairly fluent 42 and in the end put on a, a, a fluent partnership with, uh, with Joe Root of over 50, he uh, got out, Ben Stokes, just trying to up the tempo. He got caught at deep mid-on. And I think in a way it, it seemed to be a bit against the run of play because they were knocking it around very happily and playing well. But I suppose Stokes is one of those players who really thrives when the pressure's on. Mm. And England were almost finding run scoring so easy that it wasn't it wasn't a challenge for him. So he needed to kind of make something a bit harder for himself. So he went with the shot over the, the deepish mid-on fielder and just hold out straight to Pat Cummins for 42. A shame for him, in a way, but I suppose he's going to save his mental toughness for, for deeper and tougher battles. Uh, that brought in uh, then Harry Brook, who departed almost immediately afterwards. Hit one, hit his second ball straight into the uh, the press box from Todd Murphy. A magnificent straight six. Then he was out soon after. He got a good uh, ball, yours, though, didn't in, he? He got a good ball. He, Harry he did Brooke. actually get a good ball. Yeah, I mean that's fair. He, he did get a good ball. Um, the, the one or two good balls were bowled in amongst a pile of sort of fairly mediocre stuff in the first two hours. Uh, Root was, was superb. You know, um, Root's had quite a big influence on Zach Crawley, actually. Um, getting his, I think it's to do with his back lift and getting his back flow to, to move a bit more. So Root himself, less concerned now about footwork and trigger movements and more about uh, getting his back moving before the ball is delivered. Just getting a bit of a rhythm in his hand movements. And also, uh, another thing that's quite important for Root, which I think also Crawley has picked up on, is uh, uh, the twirl of the bat that they both do in between balls. And that just kind of relaxes their wrists. And the wrists are obviously important in the art of batting. And I think it's just a kind of reminder to keep the, the, the holding of your bat, the grip of your bat, fairly light so that you can use your blade to to glide the ball and steer the ball and work the ball into the spaces where you want to hit it. Uh, so both Crawley and, and Root, and uh, to a lesser extent Harry Brook actually, using that method of uh, getting your back flow going. But anyway, uh, Root playing a beautiful innings, I thought, today. Uh, you know, and, and funnily enough, um, he, he toyed with the field well too because they set the men back for the, for the hook and the pull. So he stayed leg side and uppercut and, and glided the ball, played one brilliant reverse ramp over the keeper's head for six and just looked, again, kind of nailed on for 100, didn't he? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think it was one of the biggest surprises of the day, actually, was when he was out. I couldn't believe it, especially against the spin as well, because he's such a good player of spin bowling. It was one that kept low again. It's, it's the second time he's been out in the series mm. to one uh, that's kept low. It's from Todd Murphy, took the... Uh, inside edge of the bat, just spun a bit, kept low and went onto the stumps. I suppose you could argue there's a bit of encouragement there for Root when he gets his chance to bowl in the second innings and I think we will see him in the second innings with the ball, well unless Australia completely full in the heap against the pace bowlers. Root making 91, Crawley 73, played really nicely again. Australia got him out in the way that you expect to get Zach Crawley out, ball on six stump. Uh, from Cummins, I don't think he did very much really. It was just a bit wide, and he nicked it through to Steve Smith, and Smith accepted the catch. But England were 213 for two uh, yards when Ben Stokes played that shot. 213 for two. They were in total control of the game. At close of play, they're 389 for nine, so the lead is 377. Have they cl totally closed the door 
on Australia. Could they have closed it completely? Have they closed it completely? Well, I'm going to answer that question in a minute. Uh, before that, I think we're just going to look back at a great moment here from 2005. And we've recapped already the brilliant spell of Andrew Flintoff taking his five wickets on the, uh, the middle of that uh, test match, the final test match of 2005, and cutting Australia's lead, in fact, to nothing in the end. And then the amazing innings by Kevin Peterson that took the game away from Australia and secured the Ashes for England. Well, uh, all, we, all this series, we've been talking about the the intensity of the Ashes, the importance of the Ashes, the, 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 the extra ingredient that it adds to this particular test series, the owning of the urn and the brandishing of the urn at that final moment uh, at the Oval, which obviously England are not going to be able to do this time, and Pat Cummins will. But uh, it was just interesting to, to think back to Michael Vaughan's memories and experience of brandishing the urn here in 2005. England had had to wait 18 years to get it back, and finally, through that Titanic series, they achieved it. But as Vaughan recounts, the exhilaration of lifting the urn is one thing, but then it's the come down, the almost anticlimax of going back to real life afterwards, which I think probably is something we're all going to face after this series. You know, I was just lucky really to, to be the captain that had had players that could put Warren McGrath under pressure. Uh, there's not many, uh, particularly in, in an England jersey, that have had the opportunity to basically say to a player like Peterson, go and attack, go and be really aggressive. And he played a pull shot. I always remember a pull shot. It was a length ball and he pulled it straight past mid-on off Brett Lee. It went like a rocket. Sat next to Duncan Fletcher, the coach, and I remember shaking his hand at around, I think it was about four o'clock. I went, we've done it. And he and Fletcher was, oh, no, not, not and, and we'd done it. We were 300 and plenty ahead and, and Peterson was smashing them to all parts. It was, uh, and it was around that time that I actually sat back and started to enjoy it. Up until that moment, I'd not enjoyed one moment of the Oval. Definitely, I, mean, I, I remember going in the dressing room around that time, at four, whatever time it was, and, and, and players were starting to hug each other. We knew we'd done it. You know, the Aussies can't. I mean, they were a great side, but they're not going to chase three plenty in 25. <laughs> they're not that good. The celebrations, everything that um, was documented after and the days, it, it, the actual fact, the celebrations were great. We had a, we had a good time and, and we did it in... In true fashion, whether whether you'd be allowed to do that these days, I'm not too sure. I hope I hope they can. I hope they're still allowed to get out there and get pissed and and have a bit of fun. That's part of playing a big series. That's what you build up towards at the end. But actually, the, the celebration happened. Then you get in your car to drive home, and it's the massive come down. Being on the M1, just pulling into the services, and you know, yes, people recognise you, but it's like, all right, I've got to get back to normal life now. That series, which was seven weeks, which was so kind of energising, draining, uh, so many highs, so many kind of lows, so many worries, to then suddenly think, well, that's, that's it. I, I found the week after really hard, really, really hard, because it was over. You know, and that tension that you were so used to over the course of those seven weeks had gone. It was quite weird to get back to normal life. Well, we heard Michael Vaughan uh, before the break talking about you know, getting back to, to real life 
normal life after an Ashes series. And it's going to be like that for all the players and for all the people who've watched it and experienced it over the last uh, six or seven weeks as well. You know, whatever happens in the final day or two of this test series. It's funny, isn't it? it does, I, I remember having that feeling after the World Cup final. You know, we'd put, you know, just as broadcasters, you put so much into the six weeks of covering it. We had that exhilarating final. And the day after, it was like you have that sort of really strange, empty feeling. You know, it's the end of the test match summer once this uh, test match finishes. It's the end of the ashes that we've been building up to uh, for so long. Uh, what's it going to be then, Yoz? Is it going to be 3-1 or... Is it going to be 2-2? It doesn't look as like it's going to be 2-1. The weather forecast is good enough, isn't it? I think for the last uh, two days, you can never quite uh, gainsay the English weather, but it looks as though the forecast is OK. Is it, is it obviously going to be 2-2? I mean, have England got enough runs? Have they have they totally battened down the hatches? I, I think they have. I, I think that, that needing 377 to win, I mean, Australia, the way they batted in the first innings, they're going to need two old days to get those runs, aren't they? So, uh, I mean, obviously, they'll probably be a little bit more positive <laughs> Good in, sledge. in the second innings. They'll be a little bit more positive in the second innings, presumably. But I think England have got enough runs to, to make it 2-2. But going back to your earlier question, have England sort of frittered away their advantage a bit in that last session? I think they did. I think they were a bit gung-ho, actually. Uh, in that last sort of hour or so, uh, after the brilliant batting of, of Joe Root and, and Johnny Bairstow actually played extremely well. And I, I mean, some of the shots that Bairstow un unveils, unleashes, are extraordinary. They, he makes a, a fast bowler like Josh Hazelwood look like a, a medium pacer, the way he just sort of cuffs it through the covers or uh, steers it wide of the slips. Uh, I mean, he bowled one ball, which I thought had a bit of extra bounce, from just short of a good length, around about the off stump, and Bairstow just let it arrive alongside him, and then just with a, a crooked bat, a cross bat, just glided it through the slips before like a sort of late cut. It was an amazing shot. And you know, then he broke, drew, drove another one through the offside for four. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lovely innings by, by Bairstow, I thought. But Moen joined him towards the end and actually played well himself, strolled up and down for a few singles, didn't look in too much discomfort with his groin, although I'm pretty sure he won't be able to bowl. But then, you know, after Bairstow was out, and, and I, I don't blame him really, he was trying to sort of steer Stark to get Stark again and got a little edge. Uh, but then Chris Wokes hit a tame catch straight to mid-off, almost a third ball. Mark Wood slogged a couple up in the air and, and eventually perished, caught on the boundary. And it sort of it seemed like they, they gave the initiative back to Australia slightly there. And especially what annoyed me actually was it meant it subjected Anderson and Broad, those two you know Trojan fast bowlers, to come out and have to face a load of bouncers in the last ten minutes, uh, just to sort of keep the innings intact. They weren't going to get any in their half. Jimmy kind of withstood a few blows. He's coming up for his birthday tomorrow. Forty-one year old. Jimmy Anderson having to be subjected to bounces from Mitchell Stark. I mean, what was the point of that? I thought that was really poor cricket by England in the last half hour. It, it, you know, they're still in there. They've still got the chance to add another 20 runs, I suppose, if they want in the morning. But I thought actually it just risked those fine, fast bowlers getting injured. And that was, I thought that was bad thinking by England. Yeah, the, yeah, two aspects to it. One was the one you just mentioned, and Jimmy Anderson was struck a blow on the the right bicep as well, and it, it looked quite a painful blow. Just down for a moment, 
yeah, and, and it's one, one of those moments that you know, as a, <laughs> you don't want it as a 21-year-old, let alone as a, a 41-year-old. I just thought they got a bit careless. It was like, oh yeah, we got enough here. I'll just you know play a few shots, waft a few, and and just fritter your wickets. Where they'd actually lost five for 37, so a position of total strength. And Australia on their knees became one where Australia might think, well, well you know, we, we're still in this. So you, you'd, you'd hope as a bowling side to defend. Well, the, the lead at the moment is 377. There's still a one wicket left. But we, we have seen oval test matches where teams in the fourth innings make a good fist of it. And England, well, when they look back on that session, they, they'll hope that, that that wasn't the session that just did open the door uh, for Australia. But, I mean, it was a magnificent day of batting uh, from England. You're absolutely right. Oh, Crawley, Root played superbly. Johnny Bairstow uh, superbly. And, and Ben Stokes and, and Ben Duckett also played really well. And Moen came in and, and stroked it around nicely. I, actually, one thing I thought, was that Moen com coming in just halted Bairstow's flow. He couldn't quite get the strike because Moen, you know, he could only... He had to. He couldn't take a short single. It had to be quite a long single, and he and Bester just struggled to get on strike for a while. And I was wonder whether that just made him a fraction impatient. He, the two balls before it, he was very close to being out as well as it was an LBW shot inside edge onto the pad. Australia reviewed it, and then the next ball he tried to waft it away into the leg side, and then the ball he was out to outside the off stump. He sort of tried to crash it through the offside. Anyway, I just felt England, and and I've seen it happen two or three times in in the last year. They just didn't quite. I don't sense the danger that Australia were just it's all inching their way back into the game, not through anything really that Australia were doing. They were sort of just waiting for England to, to fall into the trap. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it, it might not be of any consequence. England might go on to win the game comfortably. But, you know, there was a chance to set Australia, I don't know, 420, say, you know, chase the world record. If you get it, good luck to you. 420, 450. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah no, there, is time, there is time to bat them out of the game, isn't there? There is. And, and you know, it, it sounds a bit churlish when England have scored 389 runs in a day it and does, entertained yeah. everybody. But, you know, it lacked a little bit of ruthlessness towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, some credit to the Australians, by the way. I mean, they didn't bowl brilliantly. But Stark finished up with four wickets, four for 94. He's amazing how he keeps going and he keeps smiling through adversity. Pat Cummins, poor old Pat Cummins, he keeps you know, coming in and coming in and coming in. He's got four for 359 since the second innings at, at Headingley. So he's gone round the park uh, without the rewards for, for his great efforts. Um, Todd Murphy, three, three for 110, bowled actually quite well and uh, looked, as, you know, he's got something about him, certainly. And actually, one other yeah. thing, I thought the Australian fielding was really, you know, committed, even right at the end of the day. You had people like Labuschagne throwing himself round the boundary, Smith trying to pull off a, a ridiculous catch over the boundary and, and just missing and almost hurting himself. Cummins diving in the outfield. It, it, you know, absolutely fantastic commitment from Australia, even at the end of this long haul, with most of their bodies must be in pieces. Yeah, def definitely, I agree. And one, one little incident which I'd like to pick up on uh, at the end of the uh, end, what happened at the end of the day, and, and before I ask you what you think of the pitch and how it might play and how it's playing, is did you notice right at the end of the day's play when Jimmy Anderson got that single? It was, would have been a leg by, well, actually, I say a leg by, it came off his arm and, and they ran through for a single so that Stuart Brawl was on strike, which is what England might have uh, preferred for the sort of last ball of the day, possibly anyway. Uh, Brawl could have taken a single and got up the other end, England could have ticked the board over. Of course, with that decision, Jimmy Anderson given out, England 
Anderson had to go back on strike after the, he reviewed it and it was shown to be missing and England lost the run. It's one of those sort of strange anomalies in the law that might catch the authorities out uh, one day, especially in a one-day in international or a, or a T20 right at the end of the game when an umpire gives an LBW and the ball goes off the pad and you know, a team are denied victory. Anyway, it hasn't happened yet, but it might do. <laughs> but England were denied a run. And Anderson had to go back on, on strike. But it, in a way, it worked out OK because Anderson missed the last ball of the day or didn't get a run off it. And so Stuart Broad uh, will be facing first thing uh, tomorrow morning, presumably with everyone back on the boundary, which would be an odd thing uh, for a, a number 10 facing the first ball of the day. Uh, so what about the pitch then, Yoz? Uh, is it just a case of this was the best day for batting in the match because the, the sun was out and generally speaking the oval on the third days is good or do you think there is enough help for the batters in this surface i.e. is flat enough for Australia to think oh, hold on a second uh, we, if we bat well we've got a chance in this game I think it's a good pitch uh, I think it's still good to bat on I think it will all depend on the, uh, the early inroads that England make uh, and that therefore that the confidence that the bowlers have they've had a day off now which they've rarely enjoyed in this series and if they make early inroads I think that you know their, their gander will be up you know it's just such a psychological thing bowling you know if you're up against a, a, a batsman who's remorselessly knocking you for fours and twos and ones and you can't see any way through the bat looks like a barn door you are demoralised as a bowler and you just don't bowl with the same potency if you're bowling at someone who looks like they can get out all the time or is not dominating you as Australia were in that uh, in their first series in this game where they were kind of looking almost inert really then you do bowl better and you bowl with more optimism you bowl with more energy, you bowl with more expectation, and you make more things happen. So uh, I think it will, you know, a lot will depend how Australia approach it, and if England do make, you know, get some early wickets, the bowlers will, will be positive, and they'll probably find something in the pitch. But if the, the the batters get on top and Australia are sort of 100 for one or something like that, then you know England won't have as much um, potency in the bowling. But I think. Overall, they've had a day off. They've got the, the victory in their sights now. They've got the potential scoreboard pressure of being able to have quite attacking fields for quite long periods. They don't have mowing. But here's a, here's a thought. I've actually done a piece today in the Sunday Times about Ben Stokes turning himself into an off-spinner. What about Ben Stokes taking the final wicket with off-spin <laughs> to make it 2-2? How about that? Stranger things have happened. Well they, well, they have, yeah, and probably stranger things have happened in this series as well. Uh, well, well, we'll see on that. I mean, who knows? It's, it's, it's possible, isn't it? They might uh, get down to that. Although, yeah, you'd think if, it, if Australia were nine down, then you know, one of the regular bowlers uh, would be bowling. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope England, for, for their sakes, don't regret that sort of, not mad last three quarters of an hour, but that rather sort of careless uh, last three quarters of an hour. Australia, if England were to be bowled out, uh, over, first thing tomorrow morning would need 378 to win no team has chased that many to win an oval test match although teams have scored uh, in big runs in the second innings uh, or the fourth innings of an oval test match uh, India I mean, this is a long time back now in 1979 they made over 400 they probably should have chased uh, 400 plus to, yeah we to had we, we had uh, in, in we had Sonny, Sonny Gavaskar actually talking yeah. about that on, on this podcast during the World Test Championship final and 
you know, he recounted that and said, well, they, they, they should have won probably in the end. You're quite right. I think that, that, that there's, there's enough in this pitch to take 10 wickets over, you know, two and a half sessions or even longer if they need. So I, I'm pretty confident England should be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, just watching today, I mean, you know, for example, I mentioned the Harry Brook dismissal. You know, there was a good ball from Hazelwood to get him out. You know, there were, there were good balls around, weren't there? But mo most of the wickets, again, put the highlights package together. Most of the wickets were sort of tossed away. Uh, the, the Joe Root one will, will give England some uh, encouragement, I think when they bowl spin when, when Joe Root bowls it you know, there is something there isn't there for the, the slower bowler it was a surprise when uh, Joe Root was out but the, you know, there were, the England sort of helped Australia on the way but that's the way they play and you know, that's, that's enabled them to score at nearly five runs uh, per over again just looking at the sessions 130 for one the first session in the second session 135 for three this was in 24 overs and then the final session I made it 124 for five in 31 overs, things slowed down for England uh, as they uh, lost wickets. Australia only bowling 80 overs in six and a half hours today. I suppose you'd expect that. You know, teams slow it down, don't they? When the opposition are scoring relatively freely, they want to bowl as few overs as they can get away with. Although there's still a you know a heck of a lot of time left in this match. And there was one incident actually when Jimmy Anderson came out to bat. It took Australia three minutes uh, to bowl the next ball when Anderson was out there so they didn't have to face one tricky over before the close of play if Anderson had been uh, dismissed just before uh, 20 past six all part of the the tactics in in test match cricket but the, you know, the the bold fact is that Australia are going to have to do something very special in the fourth innings if they are to win this series and win in England for the first time in 22 years Yes, and uh, if they do it, it will be a, a tremendously exciting day's play. Obviously, if England also uh, bowl Australia out, it should be exciting as well. So, obviously, we're looking forward to that. Uh, just a, a word about the IG Net Gains Fund, which is now up to 130,000. I watched uh, a few puns today having a go at the, the great Ashes deliveries in the batting cage. So, their target is 150 grand to spend on those net facilities around the country at the end of this series. So well done to all the people who had a go in there and thank you to IG for erecting the Net Gains Arena. And for more information about the IG Net Gains Fund, go to ig.com slash investing and we're looking forward to being with you tomorrow, probably for the final day of the game. Thanks for listening. You're very optimistic there. Final day tomorrow, uh, yours. Anyway, the point being, England do have enough time. As long as the weather behaves itself, the forecast is not too bad. And probably quite encouragingly for England, the forecast for Sundays for overcast conditions after the sunshine of today. That's it. Speak to you tomorrow. Goodbye. Podcast Network.